Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and the planet and for bulls, probably. Uh, today's guest is someone who's been with us for a long time. Oh, and I'm Kevin Fult. I'm a podcast host and professor and someone who really is concerned that you understand the newest breakthroughs in biotechnology. So our guest today is someone who's been with us a number of times, probably five or six times now. One of our original guests is Dr. Allison Van Enenem, and she's a cooperative extension specialist in the Department of Animal Science at the University of California, Davis. Welcome back, Dr. Van Enenem. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks. It's nice to be back um, from my bedroom in Davis. (laughs) No, I'm working it from home too, you know, and it's it's just really, uh, it's been crazy times. But this has been a, uh, your, the news from your laboratory is always exciting. And it's really cool because I always invite guests at the end of the episode that next time you have something cool happen, let me know and we'll get you back on. And uh, few people take me up on that, but you have a number of times. Uh, today, we really want to talk about Cosmo the Bull. And so usually start with the question that you're trying to answer, but let's talk about the punchline. Who is Cosmo and what is so special about him? (laughs) So Cosmo is a bull calf that uh, was born back in April here on UC Davis campus. And he is actually a CRISPR bull. Um, So we have been working for about five years now to try to do a gene insertion in bovine embryos. And he is the result of uh, all of that work and basically represents... um, the the culmination of uh, a lot of effort to uh, use uh, genome editing to do a targeted insertion of a gene in um, the one cell embryo of of cows and of course with cows you do your experiment and then you have to wait nine months for the pregnancy <laughs> and so um, he just happened to time his arrival with a with a global pandemic. And so that added an extra level of excitement to the whole project, which was uh, kind of ironic. But anyway, that's uh, basically who he is. And um, he is a, a, a targeted gene knock-in of a particular gene called SRY, which stands for the sex determining region on the Y chromosome. And your listeners are probably familiar with the fact that um, gen- that sex in in mammals is determined by inheriting a Y chromosome from dad, which makes you a boy, or an X chromosome from dad, which makes you a girl. Um, And the reason for that is this gene SRY, which is the sex-determining region on the Y chromosome, basically triggers the development down the male pathway. And so that's why when you get a Y chromosome, you go to the male pathway. Um, And what we did was actually move that gene 
using CRISPR-Cas9 and made a duplication and copied it onto another gene um, with the idea of seeing whether or not um, the inheritance of that gene alone in an XX genotypic uh individual would result in in an individual that has a a male appearance and we know that in some species like mice and in fact humans um, and horses there's been observed translocations of the SRY onto um, the X chromosome and that's resulted in uh, XX SRY positive male appearing um, um, individuals and so we think based on our understanding of biology, that that likely that gene is sufficient to basically trigger the male developmental pathway. And we want more boys in beef production in the same way we want more girls for chicken and egg production um, because uh, the males are more efficient at at converting feed to gain and tend to uh, finish at a heavier weight. And so um, if if there was a choice, they'd be the preferred animal for um, beef production. So why do this kind of thing with a cow? Why start there? It seems like this could have been done more easy with mice or something small, and then just to see if it's going to work. Did you try that first or why why a cow? Well, it's been, yeah, it's been done in mice um, and that's it basically works there. And so, um, as you know, in biology, we you make a hypothesis and you think, well, it's likely that this would produce a male calf. But in the absence of actually testing that, it's just a hypothesis. And so we kind of, if we wanted to do this in cattle, we really had to do it in cattle. Um, and so that was the reason that we targeted it. And obviously, the reason that we want to do it in cattle is because that's the industry where we're trying to make bulls. Um, and so we can have many, many male mice and we haven't really impacted agriculture at all. We really <laughs> want to, we want to try to um, see if, if this would actually alter things in um in the actual species that we're targeting. And, you know, obviously I'm painfully aware of the long generation interval of cattle and how much easier my life would be if I worked with mice. Um, But I also appreciate that that's the, these, if these, if this technology is going to be used in our agricultural production systems, we have to be working in the species that we're trying to do these edits in. And so, you know, if you're trying to make disease resistant pigs, you need to be working in pigs. Um, and so you might use, you know, do your biological testing in mice and, and get your hypothesis all sorted. And but then until you really take that to the to the species, the target species, you you don't know that what you're proposing actually is going to give you the phenotype or the characteristic that you want. And so that's the reason to work in cows. And not only that, they're much more fun to work with than mice. I agree. I got cows in my backyard today, um, and, and I love them. There's, you know, they're up there beef cattle that are walking around behind my house. Um, I guess the other question is, when you have this SRY gene, it seems strange that this would be the only thing on the Y chromosome that would really matter in causing a sexual differentiation. What kind of gene is it, or what does it encode? And is it really the only thing that's necessary to cause that maleness? Yeah, it's actually a transcription factor, which of course sets off a cascade of different genes um, and basically causes the development of the male pathway and the regression of the female um, developmental tract, I guess, if you will. But um, my studies have shown it's what's called necessary and sufficient um, to induce a male phenotype. So XX female mice that have SRY develop 
as phenotypic males. However, they're not fertile. So there are, are genes on the uh, Y chromosome that are required for fertility. Um, but in the case of beef cattle, where we're finishing these animals and they're not, um, these are not intended for breeding stock, um, in fact, Normally, these are the male animals are castrated in in um, beef finishing situations. the The fertility isn't actually um, required for for that particular product. So it's not um, a, a fertile male, but it is uh, a male in in to to the appearance and in terms of the mice and they they appear like a normal male. Um, they're just and that's actually. When humans have this condition, they often present as um, infertile phenotypic males and, and then a karyotype reveals that, in fact, they are XX um, uh, and, off, and there'll be often a naturally occurring translocation where the SRY has um, basically, through a genomic rearrangement, been translocated to the X chromosome and you get that phenotype. That's really interesting. So you mentioned this was a knock-in. And is it knocked mm -hmm. in under its native promoter, its native control region? So yeah, it's it's got its native promoter. Um, so we, we knocked in the gene, but where we ended up targeting it, so using CRISPR-Cas9, of course, you can tell the guide RNA where you would like to place this gene. And so what we ended up doing um, for a number of reasons is going into a what's called a safe harbor locus which is an area on chromosome 17 called H11, where other people have put um, uh, genes and it's known not to be um, damaging to the individual and they've had good expression there. And so uh, we ended up doing that. We had for quite a long time tried to target the X chromosome because what we were really trying to do was produce a bull that would produce all male offspring. So you'd either get the Y chromosome or you get the X chromosome with an SRY. But the bovine genome, um, especially the X chromosome, is is um, not very well annotated. And so um, there wasn't an obvious safe harbor loci there to go into. And uh, we weren't able to obtain um, pregnancies when we targeted the X chromosome. So uh, when we were not having success there, we, as you do, redesigned our experiment to move to the um, chromosome 17, where we, we knew there was a safe harbor, and, and uh, that's where we ended up targeting the gene. And so you did this with gene editing, with the CRISPR approach. Why not just do a transgenic approach? And Well, well probably because of the targeting, but is, is that really it, or was it other reason to use a CRISPR approach? Well, back when we started this project in 2015, um, we uh, wanted to use an, an endogenous gene and, and we specifically wanted to use, um, a, you know, a cow gene and a cow. So this is effectively a, a gene duplication, if you think of it from a genomic perspective. Um, and we didn't want to introduce any... Um, "Quote unquote transgenic DNA or or trigger kind of the whole um, GMO um, uh, uh, brouhaha, so to speak." Um, and so that was our original intent. So by using CRISPR-Cas9 and, and a template that's derived wholly from cattle, um, we would effectively produce a cisgenic animal. And um, under some countries' regulations, that would be considered. Um, conventional breeding because you can get gene duplications conventionally. 
Um, but during the course of this work, as you may or may not know, the, you know, the decision of the FDA came out in 2017, their guidance 187, that basically said all genome editing in, in animals is going to be regulated as a new animal drug. Um, and that's basically the regulatory paradigm that genetically engineered animals have been regulated under for the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years or whatever. Um, and so that meant even if you did a you know, a SNP deletion, uh, if you intended to alter the DNA of an animal using genome editing, then you fall under new animal drug um, regulation, which means that you are now working with an unapproved animal drug and it's not allowed to go uh, to be commercialized or to go into the food chain. And so that really, really changed um, the the status of what we were trying to do. Um, and because irrespective of whether we had a, a native gene or we were even just doing a knockout, um, we would have this mandatory, um, you know, new animal drug classification, which basically uh, makes the animals an, an unapproved animal drug. And so um, it it alters dramatically their uh, situation, especially uh, relative to like plants where, uh, you know, a knockout, for example, isn't, with, that could have been achieved using conventional breeding isn't treated any differently to conventional breeding. Um, so once that happened, we actually did something a little bit um, to make our lives a little bit easier. We actually also included next to the SRY gene a um, a, what's called a reporter gene or a fluorescent um, marker that enabled us to visualize which of our embryos had the SRY knocked in. So we were able to expose the, they're called um, blastocysts at seven days of, of post-fertilization. We were able to expose those to fluorescent light or basically the, 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 um, the wavelength that allows green to fluoresce. And so we screened in a non-invasive way using GFP, which of our embryos had inherited the SRY insertion and they were the embryos that we uh, trans did embryo transfer with. So we didn't transfer anything that, that hadn't got a knock-in and we had about a 40% knock-in rate. And so that saved um, having to transfer those 60% that, that basically didn't have what we wanted. Um, we, we tried that in, with the original iteration back in 2015. And um, it's just, it's, it's quite expensive to do this work and, and transferring embryos that aren't what you want is, is really just cost prohibitive in large uh, food animals like cattle. Oh, I see. You know, we, we, we actually, we discussed the whole issue of the regulation of the animals as drugs way back in episode 170, like almost a year and a half ago now. And so if anyone's interested in listening to the regulatory side, they should go check out that original podcast. But when you look at your um, efficiency, you said something like 40% uh, actually of the embryos actually um, grabbed the uh, knock-in gene. But how many did you actually implant and do you have more cows coming or more calves <laughs> coming? So in this in this particular um, experimental project, we ultimately with, with when we were targeting to the H11 with the GFP, um, we ended up transferring nine uh, green embryos. So we I think we micro injected two hundred. Um, uh, well, they're called zygotes at the time that we inject them. Uh, we ended up uh, micro injecting. Uh, 200 and then I think 20 developed and of those nine were green and so we transferred nine and of that we got 
the one pregnancy, <laughs> um, Cosmo. And so that was last June, I think, that we transferred. And so um, we we once we got that um, this project actually is as you will appreciate Kevin it's a, a federally funded project it's a three-year project and we're already on our second year of no cost extensions and that's the end of it so we the project finishes at the end of August and so I feel incredibly fortunate and so does Joseph Owen the student whose PhD dissertation this is that we were actually ultimately able to get um, the animal that we had been trying to um, get and he's was born healthy, and um, so now he's uh, here at Davis, and we're looking forward to um, working with him in the future. Yeah, you can watch him be born on YouTube. <laughs> actually, watch, <laughs> yeah. actually, watch, actually, watch that video. Well, we're speaking with Dr. Allison Van Eenenem. She's a cooperative extension specialist at the Department of Animal Science in the University of California, Davis, uh, science communicator extraordinaire and, and a movie star, probably with an IMDb page. Uh, this is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. Would your participation in social media save lives? Early in COVID-19, we thought the world would finally gravitate towards science and evidence, especially in response to a global pandemic. However, from national leadership to conspiracy-plagued internets, it's clear we're suffering from an information pandemic as well. Now here at the Talking Biotech Podcast, we give you the information to battle disinformation around technology, as it applies mostly to agriculture and medicine. Information here allows you, the listener, to participate in broader discussions with confidence, helping to advance innovation to application. Today, all of us need to be engaging the copious nonsense that plagues social media, especially in the area of COVID-19. Crackpot claims, bad science, and poor quality publication are only deepening the pandemic, at least here in the USA. Kudos to the rest of you. So this is a call to the science-minded. Identify who you can trust. Share their content on social media networks. Join the conversation. Gently and kindly refute false information. Remember, you'll never change the mind of someone unwilling to learn, but the internet is a spectator sport. Become the trusted source of information to help those that don't know who to trust. Help them realize who to trust and make better decisions that could ultimately save lives. Improving the world with a simple act of kind communication. That's what the Talking Biotech Podcast is all about. And your participation has never been more important. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Allison Van Eenenem. She's a cooperative extension specialist in the Department of Animal Science at University of California, Davis, along with many other accolades. And uh, she's been with us a few times. So we're talking about the cow, or actually the bull, uh, the young bull calf, who has an extra copy of the SRY gene, which stimulates testicular development and maleness in, in mammals. 
And when we take a look at this from a genetic side, just because a lot of people may are listening, aren't geneticists, but they are interested in the technology, what would be a uh, way to help us think about this? So this is a, uh, um, a, a, a gene that you have now put in a different place in the genome that's not a sex chromosome, an autosome or whatever, a somatic chromosome. Take the listeners through why this gives us the 75% tendency towards males, males in the next generation. <laughs> okay, I'll start with the simple part first. So he's an XY bull. So any offspring that receives his Y chromosome will be male. Okay, so just like any any normal mating. So let's let's call them that half male, and and we don't need to think about them anymore. And then the other um, the chromosome. So the chromosome seventeen, where we have the SRY knocked in, it's in the heterozygous condition. In other words, it knocked in on one of his chromosome seventeen, but not the other. And so for his female offspring now, so that the ones that inherit the X chromosome from Cosmo, they would normally be 50% female, but half of them are going to inherit the SRY on the chromosome 17. And they're really the animals that we're, inter we're interested in biologically because they will be the ones that are XX from a from a genotypic standpoint, so we would expect them to be female, and they also have inherited the SRY gene. And SRY, um, the sex-determining region, typically on the Y chromosome, I guess we should call this SR17. <laughs> um, maybe we need to rename it. Um, that expresses at about day 30 of uh, embryogenesis, so 30 days after um, insemination, and it's a transcription factor that activates the cascade that results in in uh, male um, determination and ter turns off the female determination pathway. And it expresses really highly at day 30 through 32, and then that's kind of its job. It's done its job. Once it's done that, um, it doesn't uh, have other jobs. And so we would anticipate that we would get that expressed at day 30 to 32 in those XX individuals, and that would trigger the male um, development pathway. So they're the ones we're interested in. And what's really actually pretty cool, Kevin, is I think, so the um, that bull will produce um, semen when he reaches a year of age. That's the sexual maturity age of a bull. And we can sex sort that semen so that we only get um, the X chromosome. And then I think if we use that to um, inseminate uh, eggs, that 50% of those eggs should also be green um, because they'll inherit the SRY. So the SRY is right alongside the GFP and the GFP will obviously make the eggs green. Um, and that'll allow us to only transfer basically the XX individuals that inherited the SRY. And so we can really get the exact animals that we would like to study uh, as, as pregnancies in this next generation, which is, well, you know, another year away. <laughs> so another, got to wait another year. It's, 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 you know, working with cattle, there's a lot of waiting going on. So um, that, that'll be the next um, part of this project. And with ultrasound and cattle at about day 70 of um, development, you can actually uh, get a peek and see what um, sex that, that fetus is going to be. And what we would hypothesize is that uh, those XX green individuals should have a male appearance at, at day 70 of, of um, 
embryogenesis. So that'll be kind of our first idea. And I, I kind of did the math on that, and it's about a year from today. <laughs> so uh, if <laughs> if everything goes well, so that's uh, that's would be kind of the next steps with him. Well, when you get kind of uh, depressed about the long generation times, do you think about the people who breed chestnuts and things like that? Yeah, I, I, well, you know, I think I'm a sucker for punishment because my uh, PhD work was actually on uh, white sturgeon, which are a fish, um, and they have an incredibly long generation interval. In fact, until they were domesticated, I think the females used to mature at like 40 years of age or something. So it does get worse. So, uh, you know, I guess, and I, I often, uh, you know, I, I do feel a little bit for the tree breeders. I know uh, Steve Strauss and I have spoken about that. So it's the, the curse is though, You've got to be working with the species that's the relevant one for for what we're doing in in agriculture, right? And so, it's not that I wouldn't like to work with mice, but it doesn't really answer these questions in our agriculturally relevant animals, and that's uh, the kind of the challenge. And I guess in some ways, you know, during lockdown, we've been well locked down pretty much. And so, the good thing is, you know, if you've got cattle that are pregnant, they didn't stop for one minute during. Um, the COVID shutdown. So the gestation continued and the birth happened. And so uh, at least some of our lab members are still uh, getting to work each day and doing their job. They just happen to be the bovine ones. Yeah, well, this is really, it's really interesting. And I loved seeing this because I remember we spoke about this probably five years ago when you were starting <laughs> on the project. And, you know, th when you look at the idea, you wanted to get a hundred percent, but had trouble integrating on the X chromosome. So could you add other copies of SRY on other somatic chromosomes with the idea that you, if you, every copy you have will segregate individually. So you'll have eventually cut the, uh, so you have 75% that are male. If you could get one more, it would be 87.5. And if you could get two more, it'd be 92.5. You know, is that something that you're thinking in the long term for this kind of project? No. <laughs> um, I mean, I, ideally, that. so part of the rationale for going with the X chromosome was that would be 100%, right? And then the other thing, as I mentioned, those XX females that inherit SRY are infertile. And so part of the reason we we're able to get funding for this is that those individuals would be a way to, for example, if you had actually included a transgene, I guess we kind of did with S with uh, GFP, but if you did want to contain a transgene, it would be a way to do that. And so the if you um, brought along with the SRY a transgene, well, it, like GFP or, or whatever, that, that would be kind of the way that you might do that. And so, um, and I, you know, realistically with the every additional insertion being a separate new animal drug application, you know, if that's just way too complicated and it's easy for you plant people to speak about segregation and, and selecting through the ones that have inherited the right number of alleles and stuff, but it, that kind of um, selection is, is really quite difficult to do with, with large animals like cattle. So um, we really, we need to get this so that it, uh, it happens and, and you get an animal that has 100% male offspring. And so that the lodge, if, if in fact SRY results in, all, in male XX animals and they grow normally and um, they have um, otherwise, you know, normal appearance, then the, the next logical step would be for a developer and it wouldn't be me or, or our research team to um, get it onto the, the X chromosome. Um, and then, you know, I think what our role is, is to look at 
what's what the phenotype is and is there anything unexpected? Does it re- result in any, you know, unexpected um, or, or deleterious uh, phenotypes? Because if that's the case, then you wouldn't want to go f- forward with a with a commercialization or a project that takes it to market if if that's what happens and so I feel like um, you know our role at the land grant is to look at these kind of things and that's part of the reason the biotech risk assessment grant program is responsible you know or a partner in, in funding this because um, that's the type of work we can do at a land grant university no very good I, I realize my, my question doesn't make so much sense now <laughs> but I guess the other question the other is the flip side of this is could you repress SRY in say dairy cow production so that you wouldn't have any males produced and you wouldn't have to do the sorting so there is actually a paper that's come out where they've done that in pigs. And so they didn't repress it, but they knocked it out. Um, and in pigs, males are disadvantageous um, because they um, have to be castrated. And it's, that's a very uh, invasive procedure. It's just the way um, pig balls are. Um, they are. Uh, it's quite an invasive procedure. And, and some countries in Europe are actually banning the castration of pigs. And you may or may not know that uh, if you leave uh, testicles on pigs, they get this uh, charming thing called boar taint, which makes their meat have this boar um, taint, as you might expect. Yeah. Um, and so producing all females would be one approach to addressing that. And so but if you're um, talking about trying to produce um, all females, um, there are other approaches I think that you could try to do. Although, as I alluded to earlier in the dairy industry, they do have this somewhat um, uh, sorted by using X sorted semen. And that's used really widely now and has actually um, resulted in uh, a really interesting opportunity. So let's just say a dairy farmer needs um, half of his his uh, cows to to have uh, girl calves to replace their mothers. The other half now are being targeted for um, getting embryos from beef in animals um, because uh, their their base beef animals are better suited to beef production, and we don't need um, what used to be male dairy calves getting born. It's better to have a, an Angus come out or a Hereford or a, a Charolais or, you know, one of the beef breeds. And so there's a really interesting, um, you know, opportunity that's developed where there's, if you will, um, opportunity to use uh, the dairy cows to gestate beef animals. And uh, that has some real um, sustainability in, in implications because normally beef beef cows are out on the on the range with their mamas and here we're using a resource that's already in the dairy production system to actually produce a beef cow as well and uh, I think that's a fascinating development that's been enabled by the innovation of sex sorted semen in in the dairy industry that's really interesting uh, when this little guy was born why did you name him Cosmo <laughs> well so it's a funny thing you should ask that. So the students named him, so the that had been working on him. And so I guess, and um, 
there's a show called Fair, Fairly Odd Parents, I think, and there's a little green fluorescent fairy on that called Cosmo. And it's like, I don't know, I've never heard of that show because, uh, you know, I'm 100 years old. But for me, when they said that was they wanted to call him that, I just immediately thought of Cosmo Kramer, right, from Seinfeld. And, you know, he's kind of goofy and big, tall guy with hair. And, and that's kind of like Cosmo. But it's funny because the next generation up from me, um, they go, oh, you mean like the fancy, you know, cocktail you get at a, at a cosmopolitan. <laughs> so he's, he's either a green fairy, Cosmo Kramer, or a cocktail. You take your pick depending on how old you are. But I think, you know, younger people in your audience would probably be familiar with fairly odd parents. But uh, I've personally never watched the show. <laughs> well, this whole milestone, you know, is another example of how technology can be used to, you know, to test a hypothesis and show that it's, it, it works. And is this have, does this have any chance of being used in beef production anytime soon? That's a hard one to answer. Um, so I think it uh, depends probably on the regulatory approach of the country that you're based in. Um, and so, um, some countries, uh, even if it's just the a duplication of, of a bovine gene on a bovine chromosome, um, that's going to be treated as um, a, a GMO, if you will. And so um, New Zealand, Europe, um, and it seems um, with, the, with the FDA approach, the US will treat that as a GMO. In... Um, other countries uh, like South, South America, so Brazil and Argentina, the, the, if there's no foreign DNA inserted, then it doesn't trigger any different oversight than conventional breeding. Um, and so in those countries, I think that it probably wouldn't. So Cosmo would because he's got the GFP, right? So he's, that made him special. Um, but if you were doing it for like a commercial venture rather than research, you'd probably try to, to put that in um, just as the SRY gene from bovines. Um, and if there was, um, you know, sufficient interest in that in the, in the beef industry in those countries, and of course, Brazil, for example, is a really big beef producer, um, then I, I could see it being used in in those countries and of course the phenotype is kind of interesting because it's male um, and so I'm kind of intrigued by what are the food safety concerns associated with males <laughs> so it's, it kind of I mean the whole usually when you're working with like a GMO you've got a novel protein right BT or I don't know the ESPS gene or something that hasn't been normally part of the food supply but in this case there's Males are half the food supply at, at you know in, in on average, and so uh, it's it's I'm not sure what the novel hazard of of eating a male is. Um, so that's an interesting thought to ponder. No, it's definitely interesting to ponder because it really is a female with some extra male heart. It's a female by chromosomes, but a male by genes by and male by. Well, by yeah, the expression it, of one gene. So it doesn't have the Y chromosome. So it just has that extra gene. So it would basically have had that expression at 30 days of embryogenesis, which triggered it down the male pathway. And that would be basically when when the action happens, so to speak. But um, And that's part of what we'll do with the offspring of Cosmo is have a look at those XX 
SRY animals and and see, you know, is there anything unexpected about their, I don't know, other than their males, you know, is there anything unexpected that happens there? And um, that'll be help answer that question of whether there's, you know, any unintended consequences, so to speak, of of that type of an application. Well, well, maybe here's one possible one, and and maybe you can tell me why I'm way off base. But it seems like you know the day thirty thirty two. There's this expression of SRY that leads to this expression of a of a cascade of other transcription factors that lead to testicle formation and other maleness. But there's a lot of other things that happen significantly down the road, particularly in brain development, that are um, involved in making in in making decisions of maleness and females femaleness. And are those all still rooted with as long-term consequences of SRY? Or are these possibly something else on the Y chromosome that may take away some of the bold behaviors in a XX um, SRY positive bull? Yeah, I don't know. So your, your question is, is, are there other genes on the Y chromosome that contribute to male behavior um, that would be absent in these XX individuals. And I, I guess I don't know the answer to that other than um, looking at the other species that have that have these translocations. Um, and um, you'd have to look at look at the literature there, I guess, to uh, determine whether behavior differences are there. Um, but well, we'll let the well, I guess we'll let the bulls that develop tell us that. But yeah, I, that's it certainly could be some G by E there, if you will. Um, so if you have mm. male phenotype and XX individuals, um, does it alter their behavior? We'll see. Well, that's really great. I, this has been a fantastic project and I've been, it's been really exciting to see it come to fruition. If people want to learn more about it or follow you on social media, where do they look? I have a website at UC Davis. Uh, it's called uh, animalbiotech.ucdavis.edu. Uh, and that has... A bunch of all the projects we're working on, um, students in my lab and a whole bunch of videos and our funding information and the papers we've published in the lab. It's really, it's everything is there. Um, and I also am on Twitter. Uh, so my handle is at BioBeef, B-I-O-B-E-E-F. And you can uh, follow me there. So Dr. Allison Van Enenem, thank you so much for joining me here. And I hope that someday in the not too distant future, we'll have conferences again and we get to see you in person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, certainly, I, I, I've been to enough Zoom conferences to keep me full for a while, I think. So it's, yeah, so thanks a lot, Kevin, for uh, having me on the show. Yeah, thank you. And, and thank you to all the listeners who tune in every week to listen to Talking Biotech Podcast. Um, it's made us in the top 20 of all life science podcasts on iTunes and a very large number of downloads every single week. And we do it because, uh, because of all your support and your continued downloads. Thank you so much for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. And we'll talk to you again next week. Talking Biotech Podcast presents the personal views of Dr. Kevin Folta and its guests. These are not the views of the University of Florida, its faculty, staff, or students. Comment on today's episode on the Talking Biotech Facebook page. Send comments and suggestions to kevinfolta at gmail.com. And remember, tell a friend. 
write a review, or float us a little love over on the Patreons. Your support will directly translate into this podcast and broadening science education efforts everywhere. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.